0: Charles Spurgeon once said, the mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it, there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. Mental illness is not a new phenomenon and the same biblical truths that have encouraged Christians for centuries can encourage those who suffer with mental illness today. Mental disorder is defined as a wide range of conditions that affect mood, thinking, and behavior. Most common types of mental disorder are anxiety disorder, clinical depression, and bipolar disorder. So how should we as Christians encourage someone with mental illness? Though we may continue to struggle daily in the bottomless pit of our mind, as Christians, we can encourage someone with mental illness by letting them know that you are not alone, it's not your fault, God sees you and is with you, and God's word speaks to you. If you or anyone needs help contact walkfanusa.org. That's W-O-C-F-A-N-U-S-A dot org. Because you don't have to suffer in silence anymore. Amen, and good morning, everybody.
1: Thank you so much for joining us this morning, those of you that are here in person, and those of you that are joining us via streaming, we welcome all of you, and we thank God for God's victory in your life on a daily basis in Jesus' name. As you know, at World Outreach of All Nations, our vision statement is building strong families and serving global communities. And so this morning, I'm gonna go on uh, to kind of put a wrap to the message we began weeks ago on joining out of darkness into God's light. But before I do so, I just want us to pray this morning. I know all of you are aware of the global catastrophe that is unfolding in Afghanistan. Uh, We are here in the safety and comfort of Lawrenceville, Georgia, but the world uh, across from us is really in turmoil. So I don't want us to uh, not be discerning and not to uh, uh, be concerned because uh, as you know, we are a world architred for what? All nations. So what affects the nations affect the mandate that God has given us. Now, I've read quite a few uh, blogs and hear a few commentaries on how we should pray for the believers in Afghanistan, and I'm with that, I'm for that. But if we are to fulfill a gospel mandate, that grace mandate that Jesus has given us, we are not to be limited to praying just for the Christians in Afghanistan. That is a I, I, I like the English word to describe it. It is a gross negligence for any of us to think that all of those who have been created in the image and likeness of God can be ceded and just given over to Satan. When Jesus said clearly that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In John three sixteen he said, For God so loved the Christians in Afghanistan? No. For God so loved the world, and he gave his only begotten son. And then of course in John's I mean rather in Jesus' priestly prayer of John chapter seventeen in verse twenty, he said, I do not pray for this alone, but for all those who believe on me through their word. I am truly convinced this morning that there are pagans, Muslims, all kinds of people in Afghanistan who through this trial and time of tribulation will come to see the glory of the Lord and come to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior as you and I are faithful in our prayer. So Father God, this morning we want to bless you and thank you for the incredible, incredible love we and you have loved all of us. Your word said that, for God so loved the entire world, you gave your only begotten Son. We thank you for the privilege of having come to become your children, your, uh, your child. We are born again. I thank you for that. I thank you for your gift of salvation, your gift of righteousness, that gift of the grace of God you've given us. Father, we cannot thank you enough for that. Nevertheless, we are also concerned for those who are lost right now in Afghanistan, those men and women, children who are totally, completely in darkness of who you are. Lord, we send the prayer from here in Lawrenceville as an arrow, right to where they are, that you give them the courage, the strength, my Lord God, that their ears are open to see and to hear of the salvation of the Lord my God, in the name of Jesus. After all, you said in your word that all the ends of the earth shall remember, and that all the kindreds of the nations shall bow down before you. Why? For the kingdom is the Lord's, and you are the governor over the nations. You said that from the rising of the sun, unto the going down of the same, that you your name shall be praised among all the nations and that in every place pure incense or prayer shall be offered unto you. You say we shall ask of you, and that you will give us the nations for our inheritance and the ends of the earth for our possessions. And so this morning, I stand in the gap with all of my brothers and sisters all over the world, and we ask for Afghanistan. In the name of Jesus, we do not believe Afghanistan belongs to Satan. We thank you that Afghanistan belongs to you. And therefore, we thank you that you will cause righteousness and praise to spring up unto your name in that land, in the name of Jesus, we declare the salvation of the, the, uh, Afghanistan. We decree the deliverance of Afghanistan. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Father God, that you you rule supreme and you reign supreme all over that land. We bless you. We praise you. And yes, Lord God, we pray for our brothers and sisters. We thank you for courage. We thank you for bravery. We thank you, Father, for boldness. We thank you, God in this hour of trial that they will be able to stand against all the wiles of the enemy in the name of Jesus that their faith will not fail and because they are not weary in well-doing, they will reap, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for undertaking for them. We bless you. We honor you. As we stand in the gap now and for days to come, For the deliverance of this nation in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Afghanistan belongs to God. Amen. Amen. That's just the bottom line. All right. So this morning, uh, in conclusion of this message, uh, journey out of darkness into God's light, let me just use the title today, Overcoming the Guilt and Shame of Mental Illness. Overcoming the guilt and shame of mental illness. And so let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. In the NLT, thank you very much. This was at the beginning, at the creation. Actually, can you do me a favor? Can you go to verse 24? Let's start from verse 24, Genesis 2, 24. Thank you. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Verse 25, now the man and his wife were both naked but felt no shame. So we see clearly that at creation, when Adam and Eve were formed, even though they were naked, they felt no shame. Now move on to the next scripture in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Thank you very much after they have partaken of the forbidden fruit, this is what happens. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Lie, lie, lie. (laughs) She took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. In this verse, this is the first time we're going to see shame in the entire scriptures. And don't forget... It came as a result of the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, disobeying God. It came at the fall of humankind. That's where guilt and shame came from. Verse 8, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the gardens. So they heat from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Let's just stop right there and go to verse 21, Genesis 3:21. And the Lord God made clothing from the animals' skins for Adam and his wife. Now I'll leave the commentary until later, but so far I just want to show you the origin of guilt and shame. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they ate of the forbidden fruit, and as a result, the Bible says their eyes were opened, they became ashamed of themselves, and they felt guilt. What did that guilt do? It made them hide from the presence of God, until God reached out to them and called them out. One other scripture, maybe maybe not one, John chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, let's look at another example here. I'm showing you right now the biblical portraits from scriptures of guilt and shame. In John chapter 4, in verse 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. Now let's jump to verses 16 through 18. Thank you. So now, when we look at this scripture in John chapter 4, the context said, Jesus said, he must needs go through Samaria. In other words, this is not just a chance encounter. Jesus was well aware of this woman and her profile. And in wanting to deliver her, From her shame and her guilt, he intentionally went to where he would see her. And so this is what we have. So in the interaction, Jesus says to her in John chapter 4, verse 16, go and get your husband. Of course, Jesus knew she was not married. Jesus told her, okay, verse 17, I don't have a husband. Big news. The woman replied, Jesus said, you are right. You don't have a husband. Verse 18. For you have had five husbands. It's downloading to her now. Her profile. Based on what he knows as the omniscient one. The one that knows all things about everything. You've had five husbands. And you are not even married to the man you are living with now. You You certainly spoke the truth. Now. So in these two pictures I've shown you, Adam and Eve and the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman, in her case, the Bible tells us she came to fetch water at the well at a time when she was going to be the only one there. Why is she doing that? She was aware of the shame that she carried as a woman who's had five husbands and shacking up with another one. And therefore, she felt ostracized from the society. She felt like an outcast. And therefore, she did not want to be seen, and so she was going to fetch water, something that women did commonly, but she did it at the time when she would not have to interact with anyone because of the shame of the the kind of life she had lived. However, she did not reckon with Jesus, being there intentionally to deliver her from her shamefulness. Amen? One last one. Uh, Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 11. As we look at this biblical portrait, Second Samuel chapter eleven in the New King James, verses one through six. Thank you. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and the servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Ah, what a mistake! Then it happened one evening that David, across from his bed. I mean, rather, arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house. And the woman was conceived, the, the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Oh my goodness, trouble. Then David said to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Now, context: I don't want to read all the passage. We saw what David did. At the time when kings went to battle, he stayed at home. Idleness, leisure. He stayed at home, he looked and saw a woman taking a bath. Called her in, slept with her, supposed to be one night fling, until he found out the woman is pregnant. King David, a man of power, what do you do? Guilt, taking over this king, and rather than fess up and move on, what did he do? He exacerbated from adultery to murder. He called Uriah the Hittite, the husband of the woman of Bathsheba, and gave instruction to send him to the hottest heat of the battle. But that's not all. The while he's fighting, they should withdraw from him all the valiant men. In other words, send him to the battle and expose him so that he'd be killed. This is what guilt does to all of us when we don't deal with it, when we don't address it. There's a legal aspect of guilt, and there's the emotional aspect of guilt. Take for instance, if I'm driving on a road, that's only 30 miles an hour. I just got this new car, and man, the car drives nice, it's very fast, I blame the car, not me. I blame the car, the car is silver, it's a Porsche. They just build them to grow fast, okay? So even though it's 30 miles an hour on the street, because my car is so fast, I'm driving at 70 miles an hour. And I just just happened to pass a policeman who's parking in his car, eating a hot dog. It didn't stop me. But the fact that I saw it, what happens to my heart? Bim, 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 bim. I feel what I call an emotional guilt. I didn't get caught, or rather, I didn't get stopped. But I saw the policeman, I saw the potential for getting caught, and therefore, bim, 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 I have what you call emotional guilt. If on another day my car is still driving very fast and I drove down the same street at the same speed of 70 miles an hour and this time I feel the blue lights flashing behind me, so I'm no longer just emotionally guilty, I'm now also legally guilty. That is the composition of guilt, amen? Amen. So guilt describes the sense of having done something wrong, either in reality when I got stopped by the police or in my imagination when I thought, oh, my God, I could get caught. Amen? So guilt has to do with feeling bad about something that we have done or we imagine to have happened to us. And in the case of mental illness, if I have a challenge, or maybe a member of my family has a mental illness challenge, I understand that this challenge does not only impact me, but it always impacts all of those around me my spouse, my parents, my siblings, my my, my friends, because something, somehow, something's happened to me whereby I'm not able to function at the optimal level and I feel that because of what's happened to me, I've become a burden to them. So what happens? I feel guilty about the fact that due to my challenge, those around me are not able to function properly because what? I'm a burden. And unfortunately, even though that's not true in the real sense, because they don't see it like that, because they care enough and love me enough to want to help me out of this situation, but because I feel this guilt, the longer I feel it, and because the situation does not change, the guiltier I feel. And I have to deal with that. Now, a there's a distinction between guilt and shame. Whereas guilt has to do with how I feel, real or imagined, about some wrong that has taken place. Shame relates to our sense of who we are, how people perceive or how other people see us. When we feel like we're falling short, both in our own eyes and the eyes of others, then we feel a need to hide or to conceal an aspect of who we are. Why? Because we are ashamed. So, shame has to do with how we perceive others seeing us. Whereas guilt has to do with some wrong that I have done, either real or imagined. Now, a useful way. To help us distinguish the guilt and shame is to consider two different parental responses to their child's nisimidon. For instance, the parent who says, What you did is naughty, that sentence might induce guilt. But the parent who says, You are a naughty child, that statement Might induce shame. Do you see the difference? In one aspect, you are addressing the issue, what happened. In the other aspect, you are addressing the person. Amen? And the reason this is important is because when it comes to the issue of guilt and shame, particularly shame, shame is learned. And it is learned most time from homes, from parental uh, guidance, from parental oversight, the things and the words we speak, whether we know it or not, whether we intend for it to be like that or not, they have a consequence in how it affects the people that's hearing it, in particular our children. Amen? So guilt is a normal feeling that's associated with mental illness. You feel guilty for burdening others or not being complete, which in the end makes you feel worse. Then because you, feel like more, because you feel more like a burden, you feel a lot guiltier. Amen? Now, if you're you having this experience, if you're either feeling guilt or shame for any reason whatsoever, and in particular because of mental illness, I have some good news for you this morning. You must understand what we've been saying over and over and over, that it's not your fault that you're having this experience and you have nothing to feel guilty or ashamed of instead you deserve support and recovery amen let me go through very quickly before i give you the solution certain things that we know for a fact we've said some of these things before but i just want to say them again because i want to make sure we get it number one and this is in regards to not feeling guilty or being ashamed so number one you are not alone Don't ever, ever, ever forget that. You are not alone. What's happening is not unique to just you. Number two, you didn't choose it. You didn't choose to be sick. Any more than you choose to have a flu or have diabetes or anything else. You didn't choose it. So don't own something that you did not choose. Number three, everyone has something. If I was to take a poll in this room right now, for those of you listening to me online, if we were to take a poll, everyone has something. Everyone is dealing with something, one thing or the other. So don't make your case any more serious than it is. Amen? Don't put any more pressure on yourself than it's meet. You're not alone. You didn't choose it. Everyone has someone. Number four, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Number five, Your best on any given day is good enough. Live for one day at a time. Hallelujah. Get today's victory. Thank God for it. And move on to the next day. Number six, have self-compassion. Don't be so hard on yourself, oh now nah, look at this, I did this, I did that, this is why my family is here, this is why I can't do this. Forget that. Remember, Jesus got your back, and we're going to get to that in a moment. He's got your back. Number seven, getting help is not a sign of weakness. Absolutely not. Get the help you need. Whether it's spiritual, whether it's therapy, whether it's medication, whatever help you deem necessary, get it. God is the one that provided all these options so that you can be all he wants you to be. Number eight. Now, I need to say this with all gentility. It's not all bad know when i say that something wait are you kidding me you want you are you telling me i should just accept depression and anxiety no that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is in the midst of all of that in through all of that at the end of the day it's not all bad you know why because god will grow you through the experience you are going to come out on the other end a better wiser healthier human being you're going to discover how resilient you are you're going to discover that there's much more to you than you really know now why because something's happened to you look at those guys in Africa I don't want to mention the nation the harder it gets there the more resilient they are Yeah, some of those guys man The, the things we read on the news about some of these things happening in those places you think all those guys should just die one day they take a survey and they say for instance I.e., for instance, they say Nigerians are the most happiest people on the face of this earth. And I'm saying, Really? It's crazy. But what's the, what's the, what's the point I'm making? The hardship and the tough terrain, the tough environment, the fact that nothing works has hardened the people so much so you put them in Sudan, in Afghanistan. In Iraq, they will survive. Simple. Simple. So, what I'm saying to you is, as bad as mental illnesses, by the time God's helped you through it, you will find yourself a much better human being. Now, of course, I'm not saying you should sign up for it and say, I want to choose this. No. What I'm saying is, at the end of the day, it's not all bad. Amen. And lastly, you need to know you are not broken or damaged goods. No. No one should ever define or label you by where you are. Amen? Because God has a plan for each one of us. And the Bible says his plans for us are plans of peace and not of evil. To bring us to an expected end. Now, how do we come out of this? How? What's the remedy for guilt and shame? In particular, through mental illness. First of all, we, like those that are listed above, Adam and Eve, the Samaritan woman, David, all of us must not allow our shame or guilt to encourage us to hide in the wrong places. It must not allow us to hide in the wrong places. Can you imagine Adam and Eve from what we just read? Hiding from the presence of God, the very one who has the solution for their problem. They were hiding from him. The Samaritan woman was hiding away from the community because of the the shame she felt. But thank God, even though she was hiding, Jesus intentionally zeroed in on her. So you and I today, we hide in our homes. We hide away from our homes. We hide in our rooms. We hide in our offices. We hide behind computers and phones and other devices. We hide in busyness. We hide in procrastination. We hide in outright lies and diversional conversations. We just hide 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 why we don't want to deal with issues so we hide pride moves us to use whatever we can whatever we can find to hide our shame well one thing is clear number one fig leaves do not provide cover fig leaves that's what adam chose it does not provide cover it will deceive you to think, okay, by hiding, by being in isolation, that will solve your problem. No, it will not. It may give you temporary relief. You don't go home any longer. You don't finish any longer. You, things you used to do, you stop doing them because you think like, okay, I don't want people to see me. I don't want them to know what's going on. And you hide and hide and hide and hide and hide. But I'm telling you, it's only short-lived. Isolation always provide only short-lived lived relief there's only one permanent answer glory to god there is only one permanent answer and god gave us a taste of that in genesis 3:21 he saw adam and eve hide he saw them provide for themselves oh by the way that is the wrongest that's the most wrong thing you can do your self effort will never get you out of guilt or shame that's what adam tried to do out of his own self-effort, it devised its own way. It devised its own means of covering its nakedness. That will never work. That will never work. God has given us a much better way, a much better option. And that's what Jesus' death accomplished for us. In the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, it took care of both the guilt and the shame and also the power of sin itself. Five offerings, given to Israel, I can't, I can't go there now because it's too, it's, it's, it's too much stuff there. Uh, there are five Levitical offerings in Leviticus chapters 1 through 6 that was given to describe to us what Jesus' death would mean. burnt offering, sin offering, trespass offering, uh, a peace offering, and the meal offering. Five different offerings to show us the complexity and the, and the completeness of Jesus' death and resurrection, and what it means for us. Incredible. The issue of guilt was totally, completely taken care of by the Lord Jesus. Please give me Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 in the Passion Translation. Romans 23, verses no, Romans chapter 3, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's no Romans 23. Please don't, don't, don't send me a text message. I've got this message. <laughs> Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Thank you. For we are all sinned and in need of the glory of God. Thank God that's not the end of it. Look at verse 24. Yet, through his powerful declaration of what? acquittal, glory to God. Be acquitted, you know what that means? Freed, you're not guilty. Go and ask OJ Simpson how did he feel to hear not guilty? God freely gives away his righteousness, his gift of love and favor now escalates over us, and because and all because Jesus, the anointed one has what? Liberated us from what? The guilt, punishment, and power of sin. Glory to God. As a child of God, yes. I may have emotional guilt, I may have legal guilt, I may have all kinds of guilt, I may have done things that's not right, I may have done things that fall short, I understand that, we are doing those things, but you need to know your identity. You need to know who you are. You need to know the power of what Jesus accomplished for you on that cross. The Bible said Jesus bore and took upon himself all of our guilt past present and future and therefore because Jesus has taken upon them I have no guilt it's all on him I am acquitted I am free I am justified as if I've never sinned hallelujah glory be to God if you have any problems with that ask my father that's it so you said to me pastor okay all right the guilt passion, portion I understand how about the shame ah I'm glad you asked. Because God saved the best for the last. If we only understood, hey, if we only truly understood what the crucifixion is all about, we will get it. Let me tell you about how God took up the shame. Jesus could have easily died in his sleep. Is that not true? Is death not death? I mean, if he went to sleep and didn't wake up and died, would he not have died? Yes! But that was not what happened. He, Jesus, the Son of God, was nailed to the cross. Because God sat down into time and saw 2021 and saw that Bank Akimola and a lot of other folks will have to deal with shame. And therefore, he wants to show us that in our shame, we will get double honor. Oh, glory to God. And he wants me to understand how that shame is destroyed in my life. So what did he do? He ordered a crucifixion for his son. The crucifixion was invented by the Persians in 300 to 400 BC long before Jesus came and developed during the Roman times into a punishment for the most serious of criminals. Don't miss, don't don't miss what I'm saying, this obscene orgy orgy of pain, suffering, And humiliation was made a public spectacle as a warning to others not to follow the same path as the person hanging on the cross. It had two main purposes. Number one purpose, to cause the absolute maximum pain and suffering During a prolonged execution, because if he just died in his sleep, there's no pain, he sleeps and is up in glory, no pain. So, they invented this cross to say, Yeah, you okay? We exact maximum pain and suffering in a prolonged execution. That's number one purpose. But the second purpose is the one that concerns you and I, that we should be very, very, very concerned about. The second purpose of the crucifixion or the crucifix was to utterly humiliate and degrade the condemned person, strip them naked, remember nakedness as like in Adam in Genesis, ah, to be flogged publicly and then to be followed by parading through the streets while carrying the crossbeam of the cross. So everyone will know that this person is about to be crucified, and then they were put on public display. This is the most shameful of all acts in any human history. There is no man or woman who wants to be exposed naked in public. Now, had on top of that, being naked, and then being flogged. Add on top of that, being naked, flogged, and then paraded through the streets. Brazilian Highway, Lawrenceville Highway, Peachtree Street, Fifth Avenue in New York City. Any city in the world to be paraded. The Son of God in loincloth, being whipped, forced to carry the crossbeam of his own cross. People yelling at him, naked for public view to see. The son of God, God, in the very act. But he did so. So you and I will understand that every shame that was due us, he bore it first. And because he bore that shame on himself, you and I do not have to bear shame again, or again, and again, and again. Glory be to the Son of God. Hallelujah. brought shame. Ah, in a classic Jesus way, in Luke chapter 23, in the closing chapter of this crucifixion act, beginning from verses 39 through 43, to show you what the grace of God really means. Give me Luke 23, verse 39. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus bore our shame. I don't have any shame to bear. He took all my shame, past, present, and future. He has borne my shame, hallelujah. The Son of God has borne my shame. Look at what happened. He was now crucified between two thieves. In Luke 23, verse 39. Verse 39. 3, 9. Thank you. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God? See you are under the same condemnation, and we, indeed, justly, In other words, this thief accepted responsibility. He knew he was guilty. For we received the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Don't miss the next two sentences. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How? How will Jesus respond to a thief who was on the cross with him and Jesus said to him assuredly, Pastor Lee, I said to you today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, today you will be with me in paradise. I said to you earlier, you cannot manufacture your own guilt covering. You cannot manufacture your own shame covering. Jesus was looking at a thief who will never pray one prayer, a thief who will never attend a Bible study, a thief who will never go to a grace grace group meeting, a thief who will not give an offering, a thief who will not do all of the essential things of Christianity, a thief that he knew would not pay back restitution for what he stole. He did not say, get off the cross and go and take care of those things. No, he said, he said, today. By grace, you are saved. By grace, you are coming to the kingdom. By grace, I'm accepting you. Not on the basis of what you do or don't do, but on the basis of what I have done for you. Will you accept today the grace of the Lord Jesus is extending to you right now? The grace of his love. The grace of his acceptance. The grace of his forgiveness. The grace of He's removing every guilt and every shame in the name of Jesus. I plead with you this morning. I plead with you today that you accept the grace that God is making available for you right now. That's how you overcome guilt and shame. By accepting the finished work of Christ. By reminding yourself that it's paid the price in full. And therefore, there's none for you to do except to accept, to believe, and to give thanks for what he has already done. God bless you. Over to you, Pastor Lee.